You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. In this day of high tech, we have to be recorded. We have to be heard. We have to be uh, on PowerPoint. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, folks, as much as I want to be current, that's really a struggle for me. So I would like to give credit to uh, Susie for doing the uh, overheads there. Michelle Diddall did all the PowerPoints. And so I think it's important to recognize people who are kind of behind the scenes, especially when there is one person up front ministering who was behind that person who is behind that person. So my thanks to my sisters and to all others who serve today. Yeah. Well, before we start talking about our souls in context with our families today, I want to share with you a little vision that I had during Morning Watch on Wednesday. And as the worship team was leading today and talking about it all revolved around the throne, it brought this vision back to my mind. So in heaven, I was, I saw myself in a long, long line that was a living line. It was moving. It wasn't, people weren't just standing there bored. They were moving and talking and uh, um, we were all dressed beautifully. And uh, as I got up to the front of the line and it was presented before the King of Kings, our Father and God, Jesus was right here. And uh, he stood and said, I present this one to you, Father, blameless. And he put a crown on my head and a beautiful robe of righteousness. It was white, and it had a little bit of fur trim around it. At least that's how it looked to me. And then I was seated. I was taken by an angel or a servant and seated at one of the many tables for the wedding feast of the Lamb. The family of God finally gathered together under him. Now, isn't that a wonderful picture of us as a family? And we're going to talk a little bit about the church today as a family. So, Susie, go ahead and stick up the next slide for me, would you please? That's okay. We're not in any hurry. You've all got your handouts. I've got a little outline. It's very, very brief today. And also, you've got a little handout from the actual lesson today that the ladies handed out to you. Thank you, uh, Ray and Brenda, for doing that. Michelle, whoever all did that. This slide that uh, is going to come up is a picture of a multi-generational family. How many of us are part of a multi-generational family today? Let me see. How many of you have got parents, children, grandchildren? How many of you have a dog? Dog? Yeah. How many of you have a cat? Yeah. Okay. You're multi-general. You're multi-critter families, right? And there's... uh, Okay. Well, Susie, we're going to go on. Don't worry about that. 
it's so easy to talk about the state of our soul, and Rick talked about that last week, and defined it as our heart, our inner being. And when we're talking about the state of our soul, when we're with the Lord, when we're in worship, when we're out on our bicycles, Mike Mulvaney, it's easy to say, it is well with my soul, sure isn't is. it? But then we get back home. Then we step back into the dynamics of family, of household, of family relationships, of family dynamics. And then I want to ask you, how is your soul? That can change, that can shift, can't it? From the time we're alone with Jesus to the time then we're interfacing with others. And today, others is going to key in on family. So how do we maintain that sense of well-being in our soul, even inside of the family dynamics? And we probably just went through some of that with Thanksgiving and Christmas, where we were with family, maybe family that we weren't always with. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. How our families and the dynamics thereof play into the health and well-being of our own souls. So as we think about family, we can put that term into many different contexts, can't we? So how many of you have a family that you live with, people actually under your roof that you live with? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Everybody. You've got somebody, you're, most of you got somebody that you're dwelling with. Those of us who are empty nesters have got family that lives outside of our home. So we've got married children and grandchildren. So I consider them still to be a part of the immediate family. So we have an immediate family. We have an extended family of grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and critters. Some of you have grand dogs, right? Okay. Then we have one of my most favorite church family. Dying on my Yes. What Rick called last week group therapy. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little more about that today. And finally, some of us who are still in the marketplace or the workplace have got a work family, a workplace family. I remember when I was teaching at Harrison College that I taught with the same men and women for so long that we became like family. We cared for one another. We did life together. We prayed with one another. We ate together. We played together. We worked together. We labored together. And so that became a kind of family as well. So when we talk about family, there are many contexts in which we can talk about that. Today, though, I want to key in on our immediate families. I think we want to remember that God created families way back when in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman, he created them. And he told them to be one. And he told them to multiply and to be fruitful. And thus began family. So family has its origins way back in creation. In 
in the handout that you've been given, Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, very prominent men in the Protestant movement. She, I think the article says she, had, she and her husband had nine or 10 children. A couple of them died, but she had multiple children in her home that she was responsible for. And her husband was gone a lot. And it, it came to her very powerfully that her children under her, she was the mistress of the home and the caretaker of the souls of her children. And she called that her garden. That was her garden. And she called the family her first church. Now, isn't that interesting that we're defining our immediate family, not our church family, our immediate family as a church, our first church. Say that term with me, first church. Now, what does that mean? That means these are the people first that see Jesus in us, that see Jesus through us. These are the people on whom we lavish love, we care for, we devote ourselves to. We lay down our lives in some cases, don't we? We sacrifice for one another. We speak to one another with words that are life-giving, not harsh, but words that bring life to those who are in our care, to those with whom we are living. I once had a, a young lady in our old fellowship that wrote me a lovely note, but it was so affirming. I didn't know whether it was really me. I had to think, is this describing really me? And so I asked my husband and a brother that was living with us at the time, is this me? Is this what you see? Is this what you experience? Are you experiencing Christ through me? Because I'll tell you what, I wasn't sure they were. And it really brought me to a time of examining myself, examining my words, examining my behavior. Was I the same with my beloved family as I was with those who were on the outside, those I worked with, those I was in church with? Oh, I was always so sweet and nice. Was I that way in my family? So hypocrisy is a word that I think of when I think about about myself back in those days. I'm not sure I was living the face and nature of Christ to the family that I was given to nurture, to train up, to care for, to sacrifice for. So Susie, I'm ready for the slide that talks about our words. I think it's the third slide on page one. I really want to key in on this because with our words, we can bring such blessing or we can bring such damage. How many of you experienced that? That your spouse or your children or someone has said something loving and kind and it's ministered as such life to your heart and then somebody can say something harsh or cruel and it's devastating. 
So never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. This is in Ephesians. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking the words of grace to them. Now, does this mean we don't share truth with each other? No. Probably in our homes is where we can trust that the truth is going to be spoken to us. But are we speaking that truth in love? Are we speaking it so that it's going to be life-giving to the other person? I think that that's probably one of the most important areas in which we want to guard our lives and our behavior inside of our family is the use of our words. So let's go on over to uh, the second page, the, the, the top slide. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. Yes. And this is another area that my husband had to speak in my life. When our first son was about three. We had just moved to Indianapolis. And I hate to say this about myself, but I need to confess it, that I would have periods of extreme anger and temper, just an outrage. I would keep it in under that sweet facade for so long, and then it would just blow up. And so my husband was able to say to me, you are damaging. You're damaging me. You're damaging our son by that type of anger, it's toxic. And so the scripture speaks to that, that we don't want to be pouring out bitter words, unforgiveness, and temper tantrums, because those bring such damage to the lives of those and the hearts of those that we uh, are with. And it hurts. And it hurts, you're right, Marcus. So in our first church then, in our family, we want our family to be experiencing the face and the nature of Christ. And I think this is probably one of the most important things that we can do in this day as Christians is to take care of our families. Right because they show forth the heart of Christianity. And the world is watching. We may not think they are, or we may think we're kind of hidden away and nobody's noticing us, but I want to promise you, the world is watching. The angels are watching. What are you doing inside your first church? What are you doing to share Christ with your first church? your family. You know, that scripture comes to mind, and they will know we are Christians by our love. Such a simple sentence that has so much import. They'll, who's they? It's the people outside, the people in the world, the people in the marketplace. They will know we are Christians by the love we have for one another. And that's one thing I think in the food pantry, in our food pantry distributions, we love and honor and respect one another on the team. And so when our food pantry friends come through, guess what? We love, honor, and respect them as well. 
They don't have to ask, are you Christians? They know that Christ is at our center. They know Christ is at our heart and that they know that we are trying to share Christ with them when they come. And I think that's one thing, and we've talked on the team, I think that's one thing that draws people to our pantry because they're not only getting a provision of food, they're getting Jesus Christ. Let's, let's give a hand for that. Let's give a hand for that. <laughs> In everything we do, we want to be sure that we're giving Christ. This all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Dino bike. We share, we give, we love, we talk properly to each other. Do you, do you sense a butt coming? <laughs> sounds dino bike to me, Linda. Thank you, Marcus. But as we give, in the giving and the yielding of ourselves to God for his greatest purposes, we are transformed. And that's what God's after, folks. Yes, he wants to be glorified. He wants to shine through our relationships. But what he's after in family is the, our transformation. God is not out to make this easy. He never said that. I'm going to make this easy for you guys. Family is hard. How many can, how many can bear witness to that? <laughs> Family is hard. It's iron sharpening iron as we rub against one another. But guys, I feel like God gave me this, this word for you guys. He is keenly invested let me say that again. He is keenly invested in our growing and our maturing that we might become life givers in our families, in our churches, and in the world who live for and display the kingdom. If we're not living it in our hearts, with ourselves, within our own souls, if we're not living Christ within our families, if we're not experiencing Christ among our beloved brothers and sisters, we're not going to have Christ to give. And that's what Jesus is after, not making it easy, but being keenly invested in our transformation that we might become life givers who display the kingdom. I want you to memorize that sentence. There's going to be a quiz at the end. <laughs> can you say yes and amen to that? You can look at your own lives and see that happening. I can look at each one of you and I know that is happening in your lives because you've let me be a privileged part of your lives. I know your ups and downs, your ins and outs. I know your struggles. And yet I see you pressing on, pressing into the things God has for you, allowing God to bring that transformation. Now, when we're shaved off on this side and shaved off on this side a little bit and here and there, it, it's painful. That kind of sacrifice can be painful, can't it? 
But what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Romans says that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I think we've got that up on the screen. Oh, thank you, Susie. Offer your bodies, your lives as living sacrifices. I think that's the NIV. And then uh, the last one is the, is the passion. Surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice. Let's read that one together. Surrender yourselves to God and be his sacred living sacrifice. Hallelujah. How many know that sacrifice means pain? And we can look to Jesus for that. It says that in Romans 2. We can look to Jesus in Hebrews. You know, when I talk about sacrifice, this is the love that Jesus talks about in John, that love that lays down itself, that life that lays down itself for one another, that love that costs. If it's easy, if it's cheap, it's not true. It costs us. What does it cost us? It costs us ourselves. We lay down our own lives for the good of the other, for the sake of the marriage, the sake of the relationship, the sake of the church. Now, does that mean we don't have our own individual needs, our own individual expressions? No, I'm not saying that. Don't, please don't hear that. But when somebody says, I need the window up, and I say, well, I need it down while we're in the car together. Well, okay, maybe we can put the window up and just turn a little air conditioning on. <laughs> I don't like that food you're fixing, but I'll, I'll eat it. I'll eat it because you took time to, to make it for me. I'll, I'll lay down myself. For you. Oh, let me do the dishes. I can see you're so tired tonight. Let me lay down myself for you. We see that in the church. And again, it's, it's the behind the scenes things that we see. Our worship team was here this morning early to prepare. What were they doing? They were meeting with God and singing some songs so that they having laid aside their own desires for the morning could come and serve us. Just think about where people have served you, even today. All right, Susie, I want to go to, I think it's page 7, slide number 16, before I go any farther. We're going to delve into specific relationships in the family just in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to preface all of this. We're going to specifically talk about marriages. I know some of you aren't married now. Some of you are widowed. Some of you have never been married. If you haven't been married, God has put you in some intimate relationships where these dynamics are flowing from. So that should be slide 16. I think that's on page 7. 
No, I'm sorry, it's on page six, Susie, the top of page six. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example, but I, I like the word witness, meant to be a vivid witness of Christ and his church. Now, I just want to stop there. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty God, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid witness of Christ and his church. This predicates all of the relationships that we have, especially in marriage, because the union of a man and a woman there is something more than what we see in a marriage, or maybe even what we know. There is a witness that as we love one another in marriage, as we lay down our lives for one another in marriage, as we go through the day in and day out routineness of marriage together, we are setting an example of Jesus and his bride, who's, who is the church. And that's why marriage is under such a horrendous attack in our culture today. This is, like the scripture says, a sacred mystery, and we don't understand it all. But as people see our marriages, they can get an idea of what the covenant between Jesus and his church is. And don't we want to be giving the world the truth? Don't we want them to see what Jesus and his church really looks like? Okay, so I want to just quickly go back to uh, Ephesians 5:22 through 6, 1 through 9. I'm just going to summarize some of these. So Susie, don't worry about putting these up on the screen. But in that section of scripture, the Lord addresses husbands, he addresses wives, he addresses children, he addresses slaves and masters. Now, slaves and masters aren't particularly our experience or our language of today, is it? But where are you maybe in a situation where you have a boss? Maybe you have a job out in the workplace, so you have a boss, or you might be the boss. How do you, how do you take care of those who are working for you? And as employees, how do we work? Do we work our fullest for, for Jesus, for the company, for the boss? And does it display Christ? Does it display the reality of Christ? And so in these verses, we can see that how God addresses husbands and wives. First of all, Wives. Wives are told to be supportive and devoted, tender and loving. And the Bible, in some translations, uses the word being submitted. And that's true, but that has been misunderstood. At least it was when I was a young wife. I think many of us can identify with that. The husband was the head of the family. The Bible said so, and we were to be submitted to that. 
So we didn't question his decisions or we just kind of did what he told us to do. And I'll tell you what, that's a surefire way, ladies, of losing yourself, of losing your own identity. And praise God, I had a pastor's wife talk to me about losing myself in my husband. She was a godly woman and her own marriage was solid. I could trust her to counsel me. But I want to give that word today because now as I see this scripture and as I've been, Mike and I've been married now 50 years, I can tell you that there's more nuance to that complex term of submission. This is how I view it now. That I am to love and honor Mike, to respect his leadership in the family, and to be an active, supportive partner. Mike, my husband on the other end, is supposed to love me devotedly. He's supposed to love me and care for me, protect me, provide for me, as he does for his own body. And so when a husband loves a wife in a life-giving manner, she responds with love and respect and admiration. She supports his leadership in the family. She comes alongside of that leadership, actually, and, and together the two of them run the family. My husband used to say, there's, there's headship, but there's plurality in headship. And so as we've been married all these many years, we've kind of worked out some of those kinks that were rough in the beginning. So praise God for lots of years of marriage. Okay. We're going to leave marriage. We're going to leave family relationships. And I want to take a look at family in the church. All right. You know, I can look to each one of you here in this room and count you as family. Amen. Because we live life together, don't we? Do we do all the things that we're supposed to be doing in family in our first church with each other? Are we, are we serving each other? Are we laying down our lives for one another? I know that the people who help clean out my, my basement, my own house, laid down their lives for Mike and I that day. I know that the ladies who brought me many meals during that time laid down their lives for me. We do lay down our lives for each other. We love each other. We support each other. We gather together. We speak encouraging words, don't we? And that's what we do in church, that as a family. And we get down to the nitty gritty. We spend time with one another. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in worship. We spend time in small groups. We spend time at dinner, which we will be having today. Right. Talking, sharing. We encourage people to be in some kind of a small group so that there can be that more intimate sharing that you might not want to share with the, with the larger church, but you could tell a few people where you're struggling, where you need prayer, where you're hurting. Small groups, as an aside, I just want to say this, can be a, a service group as well. 
It doesn't necessarily have to be a home group. Uh, I feel like the worship team is a small group. They meet together every week, pray together, take communion together, lead worship. They serve. It's a service group. And we've got other small groups that do that too. Michelle has a, has a small group that does communion for us every week. The food pantry is a team. There's a team for Sunday school. So we've got small groups functioning. Chuck has a brand new home group starting. So those small groups help church be family and become family. Let's see, Susie, I'd like to put up page seven. Yeah, there we go. And, and these, these next several slides all are, are key to God establishing us as family. You are God's people and members of God's family and household. So there, he's naming us. He's naming us his family. Go ahead and go to the next one, Susie. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So again, God's talking about every family in heaven and on earth deriving its name from him. Go ahead, Susie. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world to be adopted as his sons and daughters. That's family language, isn't it? And many of you heard this testimony but I, I want to share it with you again. When I was first, Mike and I were first really walking with the Lord and understanding what that meant, uh, the church where we were growing up called each other brothers and sisters. And I thought, oh, brother. <laughs> you know, that's a little cheesy. And uh, I had come up out of a Catholic setting, so that, that just was not familiar language to me. So I was talking to the Lord about that in the shower one day. And I tell you, the shower is the best place to talk with the Lord. Uh, there's no hold, holds barred in the shower. And so I felt the Lord say, well, what makes family? What do, what do you share as a family member, as family members? And I said, the bloodline. And as soon as I said the bloodline, it just, you know, the truth just hit me. We are brothers and sisters. That's not just a religious term, but we share the blood of Christ. If Christ is in us, we share his blood, and that makes us one. That makes us brothers and sisters. That's why I love to call you dear brethren, dear brothers and sisters. Uh, Susie, there's one more. We are each a part of the body. It's the middle one of seven. Yeah, there we go. We are each a part of the body of Christ. I want you to say, I am a part of the body of Christ. I am a part of the body of Christ. Arranged in, in, a, in a way just as God wants us to be. So it's not helter-skelter. I think I'll visit the church. No, I'll go to this church. Well, I'll be here six months and then I'll go somewhere else. God has a family for us to be a part of. And I know when we have people here who have kind of passed through our doors, who've said, We're look I'm looking for a church, one of the first things we pray with them is, God, lead them to the church where they're going to be planted, where they can be ministered to, where they can minister from. 
So we want to know that as we belong here, it, that, that's what God's plan was, that we would be a part of this body of believers at the vineyard at Mount Comfort. It's not happenstance. And I think we each feel a call to that, don't we? And so when people come in, we want to help other brothers and sisters find their home. So I will, I'll kind of end with this because I've got some ministry time I want to conduct here. How do we conduct ourselves among each other then? What's the face that we show the world? And I put a, put a couple of things up here, one from Romans. Roman, it's not even listed, Susie, but Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere without hypocrisy. That's one of the reasons we want to be real and authentic because we want our love to be authentic. We don't want to be false, where we have that false look, I'll get dressed up and go to church and then I'm going to live terribly the rest, of the, uh, the rest of the week. But our love is sincere. Our love is constant. Our love is faithful. And Susie, the next, let's see, the last slide on page eight. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's part of Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let's say that again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good works and good deeds, towards love. Right Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day arrive. What's that day? It's the day of the Lord. We don't know when that's coming. I think we can tell it seems to be creeping along here. But we need that encouragement. And I've said that to you guys a lot before because that's on my heart, that when we don't gather together, then we're missing out on the opportunity to be encouraged ourselves or to encourage someone else. Who knows, but a look or a hug or a, 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 a verse or a thought is going to minister to somebody else that day. And if you're not there, hmm, if you're not there, And the last slide. One other thing, this is huge, I think, that God reconciled us back to the Father was not just so, okay, good, you're saved, you're reconciled back to God, and that's the end of it. No, that is the beginning of it. Your reconciliation back to God is so that we can help others become reconciled. Remember, we talked about showing the face of love. Yes, we want others to be reconciled back to the Father. So we are ambassadors. The Word calls us ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you, be reconciled to God. I remember once my husband had a testimony. Uh, he and Rick and some of the men uh, from our older church were meeting one night and they, they let out. And as they, they let out, our, we were sharing a church at the corner of um, Ritter and 10th. Ritter and 10th. And the guys came out of their meeting and there had been a horrific car accident right at that intersection. And the men, some of the men ran down 
and there was a man who was in, in, in gross condition and seemingly dead. Mike said he was dead. And so the Lord spoke to my husband and said, call him back to life. And Mike, Mike, Mike just responded. And so he prayed life back into the man and the man startled. And another one of our brothers, Mike Mills said, brother, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the man said, no. And they prayed for him on that moment. And then he did die. We, we, we heard later he was transported to the hospital, but he did die. He, they had a chance to, to offer reconciliation to the father before this man died. How critical is that? That's probably one of the most critical things that we can do as believers is to offer that reconciliation back to father. Yes, we are forgiven. That, that, that is the big number one that, 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 that covers us all. But then what do we do with that? Well, we don't sit home and sit on it and wait till we die. No, we get out there. We're, we're calling others to be reconciled to the Lord. We're his ambassadors. What does your ambassadorship look like? I just want you to think about that. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.